Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It is wonderful to think that uh, last week we concentrated on the theme of with God we can, and God, He has a reputation and a promise of blessing us beyond what we can imagine, and today was a tremendous blessing of generosity. Uh, Be sure tonight as you pillow your head that you say a prayer of thanksgiving uh, to be a part of the Lord's church. Universally, it's a wonderful gift to be a part of the Lord's church here among such a wonderful congregation. We're far from perfect. Uh, We've got a lot of good that we need to do, a lot of opportunities in front of us that we need to step up to, Uh, but I think most of us here would agree that that, um, it's a good family, and let's make sure that we appreciate that, and and let's make sure that we do our part uh, in this family. And as we think about the new facility, think about that that adds room. Who is it that you can be inviting? Who is it that you can be praying for? Who is it that you can encourage them in their relationship with God? It's wonderful to regularly see individuals inviting and bringing folks with you uh, to Bible class and church. And let's make sure that's just a part of our life. It's wonderful to have special days to do that, but what our goal ought to be is that that is simply a part of our life. Also, be prayerful uh, tonight and throughout this week for our group. We have six to eight men that are in Perlington, Mississippi, we think about the good that's taken place there uh, since Katrina uh, hit that area. There have been 12 baptisms since then, eight of those this year. There's been, of course, from that, a congregation established there in a community, a town that did not have a congregation of the Lord's Church. And just in the last few weeks, there has been a man that has moved there to work full-time, as a full-time minister in that congregation. And that ought to be a tremendous boost uh, to the work, the already good work that's taking place. That ought to be a tremendous boost. Be praying for that team that we have there now. Uh, and, and be praying for that congregation on a regular basis. Uh, be praying for the fireproof sessions. They Fireproofing continues to go very well. Uh, be sure that we pray for our relationships. And with that in mind, as we think about relationships, tonight we're not going to concentrate uh, primarily on marriage by any means, but we want to think about relationships and think about what we bring to the idea of learning to build and to grow loving relationships. As we think about that, I think about what Bud Lambert oftentimes says to us, and that is if you want to have a strong relationship, both individuals need to come into that relationship as a whole person. So if you're thinking about father, uh, child, mother, child, or child to parent, or if you're thinking about siblings, if you're thinking about co-workers or a church family, if you're thinking about neighbors, if you're thinking about good friends that you have, the only one you can control is you. So you say, what is it that I can do to make this relationship the best that it can be? You can't live the other person's life. You need to take into that relationship a whole, healthy person. In other words, if our idea is I'm going to be half a person, this other person's going to complete me, I'm literally going to become a parasite. And we need to make sure that we avoid that, obviously. But then when we think about, well, what are parasites that we can have in our life that literally keeps us from being that whole and healthy person. As we think about that in just a moment, I want you to think about parasites as we think about them that oftentimes enters into our body. Uh, You probably there have seen or at least heard of 
hookworms. I'm not going to give you a lot of details on these next few slides because the truth is it's very gory, okay? But parasites enter into the body. In this particular one, you're looking at a head shot, and it enters in through, uh, it can go through the skin. It can enter in then to the bloodstream, into the lungs, and into the intestines, and it creates a lot of pain. When you consider the pinworms, the pinworms, I'm really not going to give you the details on this. It's really gross, but let's just say this. They are known while you're sleeping to come out in the middle of the night, lay eggs on your skin, and go back inside. Enough said. Three, roundworms. Roundworms are by the World Health Organization. They say that 25% of the world's population has roundworms. They can grow 13 inches in length inside your intestines. They can lay 300,000 eggs in a single day in a few months. You can be in serious trouble if you have roundworms. The final one we'll mention is tapeworms. And the website that I went to to, to to look at parasites, this website called the tapeworm, the Mac Daddy of parasites. This parasite can grow 20 feet in length. Needless to say... Uh, that they too can create a lot of harm inside the body if you have many tapeworms. They usually enter into our system because we have eaten some kind of beef that had uh, a tapeworm that was growing in its muscle. So you might want to think the next time you order your steak rare. We'd like to kill that tapeworm before we eat it. Now, as we think about parasites, obviously we look at the pictures and we think of what they do. The idea of a parasite entering into a host into a host, and they eat the nutrients of the host, and they offer nothing positive in return. What is it that does that to us in life? Sin. Sin, if we allow it to enter into our body, does absolutely nothing good for us, but does a lot of harm. And isn't it interesting that when we think about what are we going to take into a relationship of friendship, of parenting, of siblings, of a church family, one of the things that I could do to be a greater blessing is to say, I want to keep these parasites out of my life so that I can be a greater blessing to those around me instead of a burden to those around me. Now there are some because of our society that just leap off the page. I almost hesitate to mention these to you because I don't want your mind to immediately go narrow on this. The idea is any sin that you and I would struggle with, all of us have our weaknesses. And so from this time forward in this lesson, I want you to just be thinking about that. But here are some that in our society we know from individuals that come seeking help saying, hey, We've got this problem in our friendship, in our marriage, in our relationship with our children, and and, and whatever relationships it are. These create problems even at the workplace. And some of these that leap off the page in our society, number one would be gambling. Gambling is one that once it enters into the life of an individual and becomes an addiction, it always affects more people than just the one that is addicted. Drugs and alcohol, the same. It does a lot of harm to the individual, but then that individual becomes a burden to those around them also and creates pain in their lives. We're talking about parasites that hurt us, that harm relationships, and then also pornography and chat rooms. We used to say back several years ago that pornography, it was overwhelmingly uh, a problem with men. In recent years, uh, women and their addiction to pornography has been on the rise 
Chat rooms are a great problem oftentimes with women, especially as uh, they tend to be more affectionate, involved in communication. And so therefore, they will quickly, if not guarded, they will build relationships that are inappropriate online. And obviously, these things begin to erode their holiness and also erode the relationships that they are involved in. And so as we think about this, I invite you to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I'd like for us to read three verses here together. 1 Corinthians 10 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Pause there for a moment. Somebody says, I sure am glad I don't have any vices in my life. This sermon's for someone else. Take heed lest you fall. You may not have the vices that we've just mentioned, or you may be struggling with some of those. It doesn't matter what it is. Satan is working on a way to enter into your life and to work as a parasite. That's not a scare tactic. That's a reality. That's what the Scriptures teaches over and over. 1 Peter 5 and 8, he is like a lion waiting, seeking whom he can devour. Now, what is it that we need to know? Number one, we need to be on guard. Let's not become full of pride because if we do, the fall is next. But now let's read verse 13. He gives us some wonderful encouragement here. 13, no temptation has been overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This one verse gives us three primary facts that we need to know if we're going to bring the parasites out of our life and if we're going to guard against them entering into our life again. Number one is a comfort. You're not facing a temptation that nobody else has faced. You know, sometimes it's good to know that you're not alone. When I said a while ago, what is the temptation that you struggle with? What's the sin that you say, that's my weakness? Do you realize as you said that, I don't know, maybe some of you think I'm all alone. I can assure you, you're not. All around this auditorium, there were individuals that thought very similar things. All around our society, there are individuals that wrestle with that on a daily basis. And so it's not to take comfort in numbers in the sense of, okay, I'm going to stay there. But it's to say this, there are faithful Christians that have wrestled with that, and by God's help, they've overcome it. I need to take comfort in success. If others, with God's help, can work through this, you and God can work through this also. Number two, a second fact, still coming out of the same verse, you've never been tempted by something that you did not have the power to resist if you lean upon God. Did you notice in the middle of verse 13, it says, God is faithful. In other words, God has never made a promise that He cannot keep. And so He prefaces this promise with that reminder. Hey, I'm the Almighty God. I'm going to make a promise and I'm going to keep this promise. God, what is that promise? Notice the rest of that. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Friends, there may be times where we say to ourselves. Oh, I just, I, I just, I didn't have any way around it. It just happened. It was going to happen. I couldn't stop it. That's not true. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. There is never so much that you cannot bear the responsibility of turning away from that. Obviously, none of us are perfect. But when we make mistakes, we can't say, more was put upon me than what I could stand. Now, with that, it ought to bring an an attitude. 
okay? So if not more is going to be brought upon me than I can stand, then, and this is the third one, there will always be a way of escape. God always provides a way of escape. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every temptation that comes to you, if we will just look around, God offers the escape. Right now, if we had to, in an emergency situation, evacuate this building, most of us here are familiar with this building, we would immediately start running for exits. But let's say that smoke filled this room. We became disoriented. What would we do? Then we would have to search for the way of escape. We would look for lights that would be lighting through the smoke that would spell out the word exit. We would be looking for other people that have exited because if they have exited successfully, I can exit behind their path successfully. Friends, in times of temptation... Now, this is, a, this is just for us individually. Each person has to ask herself this. How much searching do we do for that way of escape? What is it that we can do to make sure that we find that way of escape? The parasites we keep out of our life helps not only us, but then we become a greater blessing to every relationship that we share in. You ever thought about the fact that everything God asks us not to do is for our good? Everything that He asks us to do is for our good. You see, He wants to protect us if we'll just listen to His will. Over the next few minutes of this lesson, we're going to move at a much faster pace than what personally I enjoy as I study the Scriptures. But the reason we're doing this is I want to show you seven things that if we do these things, perhaps it would help us keep these parasites out. As we think about this, if you would be turning to Matthew, the sixth chapter, the first thing is, are you praying about it? And when Jesus taught about prayer in Matthew, the sixth chapter, notice what he said in verse 13. This is toward the end of his prayer. He says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If Jesus Christ prayed to to deliver us from temptation, keep us from the evil one. And again, we're asking ourselves these things tonight. These these are not group questions. This is for ourselves. When is the last time you've prayed specifically about the sin that oftentimes tempts you? I want to challenge you. If there is a specific sin that continually tempts you, you and I ought to arise every morning, and that ought to be a part of our morning prayer. Lord, help me to overcome that temptation when it arises. Keep me from the evil one. Surely many of us probably pray Jabez's prayer. Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory, that your hand would be upon me, and that you would keep me from evil. Friends, when we look through the Scriptures, people that remain strong realize they could not do it alone. I'm proud, I'm arrogant, and I'm going to fall if I think that I don't need to be talking to God and leaning wholly upon God to say... Deliver me from this. Give me strength for another day to stand on your side and to overcome this temptation. But be turning, if you will, to Job 31. Job 31. Another thing that I would suggest to you from Job 31 is that we need to get serious with our self and that we would make a covenant. You know, if we were going to list some of the greatest men in the Bible, I realize that list could be made uh, a long list, and everyone perhaps that we would put on that list would have a very good reason. I want to suggest to you that if we made that list and then we begin to really study deeply that list, 
I would suggest to you that Job would just keep rising closer to the top of that list. Job is an amazing study. You read the first verse of Job and you read about a man who was upright and a man that shunned evil. Think about that. That was the description of Job. And then we see the man that went through so much. God did not allow more to come upon him than what he could stand, but God allowed Satan to test him to almost the very limits. But God kept his promise and Job stood strong. Now it's in this setting that we read this really, really righteous, godly man. And notice what he said. 31 verse 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Do what? The great godly man Job had to make a covenant with his eyes? Now how many are quick to judge? How many said pervert? What's wrong with Job? You mean he had to get serious about making sure that he lived a pure and righteous life? I think that's the message for all of us. Friends, whatever our weakness is, we need to make a covenant. We need to look deep in our soul and we need to get serious about conquering that and make a covenant. Lord, I'm not going to do that. By your strength, I'm going to overcome it. Lord, I'm going to hold myself responsible. Job, what did you do? I guarded my eyes. Job is implying... I could have looked upon young maidens and I could have lusted but I made a covenant with myself that I would not do that. Have you prayed about it? Have you made a covenant about it? Now the third one that I want to mention to you we're going to mention real quick because we just talked about it and that is in 1 Corinthians 10th chapter verse 13. Once we've prayed about it and once we've made the covenant, when that temptation comes, we must look for that way of escape. It's there. Are we serious about finding it? Have we made that covenant so that we're serious about finding that? Now let's look at a fourth one. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. We're going to talk about something at this point that I'm going to suggest to you that my guess is that this is hard for us to do, but that doesn't mean we ought to not try to do it, and it doesn't mean we ought to not continue to try until we achieve it. I'm also going to suggest to you that there might be a pretty good population uh, that never tries to do this, and I really think we lower what we could ever become in maturity. In other words, when we say, why do some people never mature as they should in relationship with God? This might be part of the reason. If I were to say to you, how often do you discipline your thoughts? Would that be foreign language or would you say, oh, I do that on a regular basis. You know, Philippians 4 tells us what to think on, but also we ought to be aware of things that we should not be thinking on. And so here as he talks in the 10th chapter about spiritual warfare, we're going to pick up in the middle of this sentence, the 10th chapter in verse 5. And Paul writes here and says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Notice this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so whatever it is that would fight against Jesus... He says, we're going to bring those thoughts down and we're going to place them in captivity. In other words, Paul says, we have to control our thoughts. They're not going to be running wild and rule us. We're going to rule our thoughts and bring them in, rein them in. Every thought into captivity, what? To the obedience of Christ. Many of us here, 
And this is a wonderful compliment. Many of us here, there are certain words that, that we would say, I don't say that. I believe it's wrong. I don't say that. Do we have the same kind of conviction about what we think? No, I don't think that. Can we say that? Can we say, I have disciplined my thoughts? We know what sin is. Now, do we think about it? Do we dwell upon it? Do we meditate upon it? That's what breeds lust. And James teaches us that it's lust that breeds sin. So if we want to be able to rid these parasites out of our life, we've got to control lust. And and by the way, lust in its broad sense is just sinful desire. And so we want to take this sinful desire out of our heart. What do we have to do? We have to control the thoughts that we allow to linger in our heart. As a man thinks in his heart, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the proverb writer teaches us. Now let's go if you will, to 2 Timothy, the second chapter. And let's look at a fifth thing here. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, and look at verse 22. Flee. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful lust. Now notice the opposite. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. We just talked about making sure that our mind is pure, our thoughts are pure. So we've got this pure heart that we're working on, but now what do we have to do? Youthful lusts, in other words, sinful desires, we have to flee from those. Now, of course, I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but, but if you were in a situation, how would you define flee? Just think about that in your mind. How would you define flee? Paint a picture of this in your mind. Flames were blazing through the rooftop and we saw the family flee from that house. What did you picture? How did that family leave that house? Let me me go back and, and just linger there a little while. Well, let me see how close I can get to that flame and and it not burn me. What's the word flee mean? Flee, youthful lust. And then notice the next part of this verse, he says, pursue righteousness. We're running from that which is wrong and we're running toward that which is right. We want to keep the parasites out of our life. We have to be running in the right direction. But then also, if you will, be going to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, and let's look at a sixth thing here, and that is we need to repent of sins. What is repentance? Look at 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Let's talk about this for a moment. As we think about maybe if there's a particular sin that you deal with, a temptation that you deal with on a regular basis, when you fail in that moment and you sin, number one, do you have sorrow? And number two, if you have sorrow, is it worldly sorrow or is it godly sorrow? If you'll notice, both are mentioned in this passage. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance means to turn toward God. When you feel sorrow, why do you feel it? Do you feel it because you know you've sinned against God? You know that you've gone against the very life that you committed to live? Or maybe you feel it because you're embarrassed. Someone caught you. 
and the list could go on and on. Friends, there's a lot of different reasons to feel sorrow, but if we're going to keep the parasites out of our life, our sorrow ought to not be associated with the fact that we got caught. Our sorrow ought to be associated with the fact that we've sinned against God and we truly are sorry. You remember Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God. He was sorry for what he did. He wanted the joy of the salvation to be restored to him. And finally tonight, if you will, be turning to 1 John. 1 John, the first chapter, and let's read verse 8, 9, and 10. And here we think about confessing and seeking God's forgiveness. 1 John 1 8, 9, and 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Notice how again it talks about God's faithfulness. God will do it. He will forgive us. The question is, do we want His forgiveness? He will forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Finally, we conclude tonight with what is it? What is it that we need to do? We've got to seek God's forgiveness. Notice forgiveness is on God's terms. And so what is it that God wants us to do? He says, I want you to confess your sins one to another. And I want you to pray for one another. And I want you to know that I will forgive sins is what God says. Why do you think God would want us to confess to one another? One is he doesn't want us to be a stumbling block to others. Romans 14 teaches us that. But don't you think it's probably also because there's always others around us that are also struggling? And maybe they've had successes. And maybe they can come along and they can encourage us. And they can tell us better how to find that exit, that way of escape. Tonight, you have parasites in your life? Physically, we'd say that's a bad thing. Spiritually, it's a lot worse. Not only is it going to hurt our own soul, but it's literally going to bring pain in the relationships that we share in. We want to build long-lasting relationships. One of the greatest ways for us to build long-lasting relationships from our standpoint, we can't live the other person's life from our standpoint, is to take a person into that relationship ourselves that's wholly dedicated to God. I don't know how many times I've received phone calls, many times strangers, emails, and again, many times strangers from individuals that hit our website. People stopping in the office, members, strangers, and they come in with tears. And they have a story. And they have a story about how they've been hurt. And the individual and the relationship that has hurt them so oftentimes has a vice in their life that finally has broken the relationship down. Tonight, I want you to know you're not alone. Others have been through it. God's faithful. He'll see you through it. And we would love to help in any way that we can. But you can't give up. You've got to believe that you and God can rid that parasite out of your life. And we're going to sing a song of invitation. And 
And if you want to come and, and publicly confess sin and pray forgiveness as a child of God, we would love to do that with you. If you've never been baptized into Christ, says, tonight you're a believer and willing to repent of sins and confess for men, we would love to see you baptized into Christ. If you're wrestling with something that you're tired, you're tired of wrestling with it and you feel like you need additional support, you need some help, you know that you can talk with us. The men on staff, our elders... We'd love to get with you once or get with you over several weeks or encourage you in any way we can. Bud Lambert is a tremendous resource. But friends, I'm begging you tonight. Don't think that a problem just gets better over time. That's kind of like what we talked about this morning, the foolishness of evolution. A problem doesn't get better over time. A problem only gets better when we address it with God's strength. Tonight, or tomorrow, or at any time, if we can help you, please let us know. If we can help you tonight, come as we stand, as we sing.